ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 proudly present The Killer Bees. Definitely a fan of The Killer Bees. Don't sweat the technique. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here comes the fastest three hours in Houston sports radio. Here's Joe Blank and Jeremy Branham. Oh, hell yeah. You about to get all stung up. Ooh, what up, H-Town? Hey, how we doing? He's Joel, I'm Joe, filling in for Jeremy here on the Killer Bees until 3 o'clock. We got BMAC behind the glass, and we got an Astros victory to talk about today. Not the annoying stuff we were... T- My microphone's terrible. Uh, the stuff we were talking about yesterday, really we've, got, we've got Oilers jerseys coming. Oh, yeah, the Oilers jerseys have been leaked, Joel. For the Titans? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Not, we'll talk, for, not for the Texans. Not for the Texans. For the Titans. We'll talk about that uh, in the 2 o'clock hour. We've got Bad Take Boulevard at 1.30. The Wheel of Bits at 2.30, which I'm really excited about because right. we're going to power rank. I'm going to I'm I'm tease way ahead. I'm going to spoil the Wheel of Bits. Today is the 12-year anniversary of Yao Ming retiring from the NBA. I know him. So I want to know who the top five Rockets are of all time. We're going to do that 2 You're going to do like a Mount Rushmore without a Mount Rushmore? You're just going to go five? We're, well, we call it the Power Five on the Wheel of Bits. Okay. You sure this to... isn't the wheelhouse? Yep. All right. Um, all right. So let's get into the Astros game yesterday. Dubon, yep. happy birthday. RBI single early in the game. Jose Abreu. But Chaz McCormick. I don't know. Is Chaz McCormick or is Brandon B. like the b- bigger story? Because Chaz I, I, I being personally, uh, coming off of being the American League Player of the Week, which... I don't think anybody would dispute for a second if you said that's the first time he's ever won that award. Yeah, and you never thought he would ever win one. But because he won one and now he continues to stay hot, my first question to you is, is he untradeable? Not for the long haul, not for the realistic possibilities of what can be, but because for this season, as much as Dubon did it early, without Chaz McCormick, where the hell would you be? This guy who your manager seemingly does not like, is now being has to like. He has no choice. This is the classic case of forcing someone to play you and then like you because no matter what you did to keep the man down, he keep, takes a lick and keeps on ticking, and he keeps coming up big for you. And I know it's unrealistic, and it's a crazy thing to say because I've seen on social media, oh, is Altuve the only untradeable one, or Altuve and Jordan, Altuve, Jordan, and maybe Fromber, or yes, Fromber. Chaz might be in that mix as much as we've been talking about packages for certain players. Jokes, you can have him. Jake, you can have him. Chaz, you can't have him this year. No, Chaz McCormick is absolutely a major part of this team. The only time I'm considering trading Chaz McCormick is the deal we talked about yesterday. We're going to revisit that a little bit in in the 1 o'clock hour about Luis Robert and and Dylan Cease and what that would take and, and why it's not totally realistic. But unless you're getting like that caliber of a player in return, your upgrade is in left field. Like, that's where you can upgrade the most. And also, you know, as great as he's playing, though, Joel, do you think people are, like, banging down the door for Chas McCormick? Like, it's kind of like Corey Jokes. Like, a lot of people in these trade talks that are happening on social media and fans are like, let's move this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy. They Like, Corey Jokes' came, name comes up all the time. Mm-hmm. But, like, I don't think he has any value. Well, the question first, Joe, becomes who has a, a, a bigger upside long term? Because Jolks is younger, somewhat, I believe. Jolks probably more athletic and steals more bases. 
But Chaz on the big league level, all the way up to the World Series and the catches and the different things he did and the way he, you know, quietly hit the ball the way he did in the playoffs, that I think that there are teams, and I think you'd have to be a good to really above average team saying, we don't need someone that really is a impact knock your socks off guy, but we need someone to upgrade what we have. Well, if we put a Chaz McCormick in, you know, at the bottom of our lineup, but put him in the outfield, and, and we could use a guy like that. He's not a guy that goes to a rebuilding team and becomes like this leader slash star on a team. Sure. But I think there are teams that can't turn the other way and, and not say Chas McCormick because it's not just a one-year, like Dubon. We're waiting to see because Dubon is having an out-of-body experience based on what he's been as a baseball player leading into this season offensively. Now, the question then becomes, is he going to be Montero next year? Or is he going to be a guy that kind of builds on this and is able to sustain it? You don't know. So I don't think Dubon literally has the kind of value McCormick does because McCormick's shown he can be a major league hitter for more than one season. He's got pop. He can do a lot of different things. They're both versatile. Yep. But I, you're, I understand what you're saying. I don't think you're going to get like a massive return, but I think there would be interest. I don't, I don't know how much more interest, like how much more he gets you than what Miles Straw did, what, three years ago? Like I, I just don't. Think, I like Chaz a lot. Chaz McCormick is playing. I, I, I would dare say maybe Miles Straw had more, more value. Like it, it was more, maybe more intriguing. Now Chaz is playing right now better than honestly anyone has at the center field position for the Houston Astros since 2017, or or really since Springer moved to right field. Like Chaz has played at an elite level a lot this time this season in the bat. When he's batting now, his fielding I think it still leaves a lot to be desired. A lot, yeah. I think I, it's an occasional hiccup. It's not like a, a, a brain fart. Jake's good for a break fart almost every game. He gives it's Chaz is my my my. It's not like a beef, but like when I look at Chaz play, to me there's plays where the ball's like ten feet in front of him, and I just feel like he should be able to get it, and he just can't. I think he's like uh, just like a little limited. Like he's a really solid, good center fielder that can. Yes, like we saw it in the World Series. Duh. Make incredible catches, mm-hmm. like so. I just don't think he's well, not like just, that. I mean, look, he made, elite, he made, he's made him at Minute Maid. He's no, made for him. Sure. He, he makes him a lot for sure. I just, I just don't like when Jake Myers is at his best as a fielder. I don't think Chaz is that close. Like, I think he's still really talented, but he's just not like to that level we've seen in the past. Or like comparing to a Springer, like he's nowhere near that. That's also an incredibly high bar. It is. But what he's done offensively this year, like you know, I, I remember you know Chandler Rome will occasionally just bring up this tweet where he he tweeted once upon a time, like, where would this team with the, be without Dubon? I think that's kind of where I look at Chaz McCormick too. right now. It's just yeah. like, where would this team be without Chaz McCormick? I mean, and again, as much as everybody's saying, maybe it's just not our year, maybe we're just cursed, you know, maybe this, maybe that. Well, maybe you should turn it on the other side and, and, and flip it and realize because you've had a Dubon, because you've had a Chaz, because you've had a Corey Jolks, and to some degree, because I think most people had written off Jake Myers, because you've had a Jake Myers, but you've had a J.P. France. Look at, we've just met, went five to six to seven guys that you weren't expecting anything from, for the most part, that have been the reason why you've salvaged a season to this point in the year and have a legit chance to go on a deep playoff run once you get healthy. Without those guys, your season is lost. Yeah, Chaz has been really a guy that's just like, he's just been, he's just been glue. I think it's like the best way to put it. Like he's been the glue that has kept this team together. Um, but he's the other, needed, but he's also needed glue Joe mentally to keep his head together, knowing that his manager wasn't necessarily in his corner. They sent him down last year. Dubon, what didn't have to deal with that? They, because Dubon's 
Like they sent Chaz down last year. Like I think that's almost been it's and it probably rightfully like Chaz has forced people to forget that. But early on in the season last year when people got healthy, they sent Chaz McCormick to triple A. And then there was an injury and he came back literally like the next day. Like there was a moment in time where Dusty Baker said, Chaz, you're a minor league baseball player for us. And James Click agreed. And for the and since that moment. Chaz has proved all of them wrong. Chaz McCormick has consistently played above where you've wanted him. And yeah, I he's not in like the untouchable category for me cuz frankly like there's like two guys, three guys on this roster who are untouchable. Mm-hmm. And and we'll get like deeper into that. Well, we talked about Peña yesterday, which shows you. He's just, not. Yeah, the the only guys like I said that should be in the discussion of untouchable are Altuve, Jordan, and Fromber. Yeah. And other than that, uh, everything's on the I mean, I, I I put Tucker in that category. Like, I don't. Unless, like, Lewis Roberts coming back. Like, right. I, it's just such an extreme where, like, I don't think that trade's realistically going to happen. But, you know, he is a guy that, like, I, w- I would have Kyle Tucker in that untouchable category for, for anything. But I, I can get why some people would view that. The, the other thing from last night, now look, Dusty Baker has done a really good job of picking his spots, or from yesterday afternoon's game, is with, with Montero. Montero is not pitching in high leverage situations. Right. He's not. But which he shouldn't be. In his last six appearances, he's pitched nine point one innings, given up three hits and two earned runs. His three outings before that gave up nine hits, nine earned runs, and two and two thirds. So like the last six versus the previous three have been totally different. He hit ninety seven yesterday. I'm not saying Ra- like Rafael Montero's back, but it's at well, least watching yesterday's game. It's baby steps, Joe. It's exactly. It's, it's okay. You're you're hyper managing a guy so that you get you, he, at least he's serviceable, and you're also trying to find out if you can get him back where he once was. But now the next step is going to be monumental because now instead of playing the Rockies or doing mop up duty against teams, you're either trailing by four or up by four on. Now the next step is going to be: Can you put him back into the sixth inning of a tighter game? Can you put him back into situations where he has control of his breaking stuff? He doesn't leave 0-2 pitches screaming, hit me in the middle of the plate. Yeah. And he can get back to where he was a year ago. Maybe not completely because that was maybe unrealistic, but get down to a guy that in the 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th can give you what you need. It is. that, that The path to that is going to be fascinating. Highly concerned about those situations right because, now. But you have to try. Like, like, do you have to? I think you do. I think Because I think you need a definitive answer. At some point, like, let's say, like, these last six appearances, if he goes, if he does this, his next four, and he goes 10 straight appearances with three earned runs, and that's all he's given up, and he has pitched much better, the location looks better, at some point, the curiosity factor, like, okay, like, well, what happens when we put this guy in a high leverage situation again? you got to cross that bridge. It's a really, really fine line, though, Joe, because if you put him out there and he, he capsizes, you probably write him off for the rest of the year because cool. mentally he's just done, and you're still paying him, and you can't cut him. So, and you're on, on the hook for two more years for him. So that's why I'm saying it's a, it's a fine line because where he is right now is at least an innings eater with an above average fastball that can get you by and do what Seth Martinez used to do with with a better chance of staying right where it is because he has a better fastball. But if you put him in another high leverage situation or you throw him into the fire too soon and he fails, he could implode. Cool. 
like then implode. Like uh, that's I'm fine. Well, then with he that. better have a a massively infected hangnail that sits him out the rest of the year. Like well, Josh or he just, go, the he just goes back to what he is now, which is he only goes in when, when there's four when there's a four run lead. But to me, when you look at this team and you have four guys in your bullpen that are in the top ten in appearances, you need you need Montero to get back to where he was at least close to where you can help you know lessen the stress for those guys. You need Abreu and Naris and Presley and Maton to be pitching less the rest of the season because even if you get someone at the deadline, like you, you just need you need innings that matter from Montero, and so you need you need the answer. And I just I think we're getting close to the point again where it's time to see if, if he can give you that answer. The other big thing from yesterday's game, Brandon Belak. He was really solid once again. What the Astros have got from him, J.P. France, has been absolutely incredible this season. We talked more about Belak's uh, start yesterday here on the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. All teams covered. No stalking points necessary. You're back with the Killer Bees on 97.5 and 92.5. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios. The Killer Bees here on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Joe George and Joel Blank here with you today. Patrick Crane will be in for Jeremy tomorrow. And then Jeremy will be back on Monday. So the other thing from yesterday's win we just haven't really touched on yet was Brandon Belak. He's good again. Like You're not on. I didn't do that. Sorry. I mean, it's BMAC. I mean, if BMAC... does what you normally do and everybody else does. I mean, I don't think it's that hard. Um, I think Brandon Belak should be a Rocky. Because he's so good against them? I mean, he hasn't given up an earned run in like 13-plus innings against the Rockies. And it's hard to pitch against the Rockies in Colorado, as we've seen. Yeah. If we're going to give Hunter Brown the benefit of the doubt. I think, and I, I tweeted this when he came into the game yesterday, but if Mr. Hand is available as a left-handed loogie for a Rockies team. And by the way, his splits, his numbers on the road when he's not pitching in Colorado, a little over three ERA, very, very effective out of the bullpen. Would you do right now Brandon Belak for hand? Of course. I wouldn't a heartbeat. Yeah, I just don't think anyone's going to be calling the Astros and asking for Brandon Belak. I, well, if you're the Rockies, you could do a lot worse. You get a younger starting pitcher in exchange for an older relief pitcher. I think it's a win-win. Well, I think that's the Jake Myers trade, personally. Like, that to me is why Jake Myers gets you, is the guy like, is like hand. Jake Myers is a bullpen arm. I think but, that's like but the best you equivalent could, I you, have. Would you do Belak? Or do you think yeah, that yeah. now, because of the way he's pitching, well, do you think that now you got to start considering, start? is he a guy I need? I think, I think it'd have to be the second move, because right now my answer is no. I would not do that. I'm not trading any starting pitchers away from this team. Until it sorts itself out a little Until bit. Until Arkady for sure is back. And look, he pitched in Sugarland yesterday. His velocity, I think, was like 94. He was At one point, like, he was solid. Like uh, Minor league stats, even on rehab assignments, literally mean absolutely nothing. But I just, I can't trade anyone from this rotation this season, honestly. So my answer would be no. I would not, I would not trade Belak because we got the questions about Hunter Brown, Javier, like, it's, was better, but it's still not great. And I just think you need – I wouldn't remove this depth from this team because they shouldn't be as impactful as they are, but Brandon Belak and J.P. France have been such a huge part of this team this year. Sure. I just can't. I, just can't. I wish I could. Even I wish Blanco the is yes. short doses. That's what I'm saying. You've almost got eight to ten guys 
that you have expected basically nothing from that have been the reason why your season is even salvageable at this point, let alone being less than five games out of first place in your division and probably, you know, a, a playoff team. So you look at that and you say, well, of those guys, how many guys are you willing to part with? And, and how many guys do you feel like from this point on you're not going to need? And that's a tough question because we don't know which pitchers are coming back. And if they come back, we don't know how long they're going to stay in the case of Urquidy, who's had two shoulder injuries, who had another one this year. And you don't know if this is going to be just continuing on and on to where right when you need him most, he might not be available. Yeah, that's why I just, I, when when you talk about trade deadline and guys that could be moved, it's uh, you could sell me on the idea of trading a starter uh, if another team wanted one for a bullpen arm, I, I, w- I will listen to that. But I just think there has to be another move first. Because where you're at depth-wise... Well, starting pitching would be the key, right? If you get a start, if you add another starter... And at any level. Not, well, but if you add another above-average starter, like, yeah. it looks like because of the uncertainty with Javier, seems to be more of a possibility and maybe even a probability mm-hmm. to where... It, even if you don't believe that Dana Brown had identified Cease as the the guy or the only guy, he's going to look at those kind of guys because he knows no matter how good this offense can be, if you don't have pitching, you don't have a chance. And we don't know what Javier's going to be the rest of the way. Yeah, exactly. And that's where, so if you get one, cool. Then, yeah, I would consider moving Belak. I just, I this is one of those moments, though, where like, j- just like Dubon and, and Chaz, where, and like, this is where like, I think Jake Myers is separate from this conversation because like when you look at the raw, like numbers defensively and like where he was viewed in the minors versus what he is today. I just think like these guys don't really have like trade value. Like they are really good for the Astros right now. What they've done has been absolutely incredible, but like, I just can't imagine someone going to their organization and be like, yeah, our big move is trading for Brandon Belak in a rebuild. Well, but if it's, if it's a team that's going nowhere or trying to unload salary, the Astros are willing to take on the salary sure. and a veteran to give you a younger player at a far less salary that could be a guy that for maybe a, a couple years, and if you're lucky, more than that, ends up being a productive piece of either a rebuild or a you know a build up from being a middle-of-the-road, small-market team, whatever. I think there are going to be plenty of teams that are either out of it or trying to save cash that say, hey, we'll unload a veteran at a higher tag sure. to take a younger guy with maybe a bigger upside. Yeah, I could see that. Isn't that the problem, though? With tra- If the idea is to trade Belak or J.P. France, we, we obviously think of them as, quote, young guys because they're rookies, but they're 27 and 28 years old. They're, yep. they're guys that have basically been career minor leaguers. So I don't know if another team would view, oh, we're trading off our high-priced veteran for a young guy because by the time you know that team is rebuilding, uh, presumably, and getting to where they want to be, those guys are going to be 30. Yeah, I think and that's where it's, it's what Joel was saying, too, is like it's, if it's only if it's like that salary dump, is almost where, oh, the Reds are a terrible example because they're good. But like that's this would be like that's a classic like Cincinnati Reds trade, is they say we suck and we're going to trade for a guy like Brandon Belak who's going to fill our rotation, be the cheapest player possible, and he's just going to eat innings for the next three years because we never intend on being good. Now they're finally good. Like this is a that's the guy the Pirates trade. For. I was going to say this is a Pirates move yeah. all over the place, right? This like, is a guy just, that on the cheap. Buys me another two, three years to do what we need you to do, which is try and tread water while we try to try and be respectable. And we do it at a cheaper price tag than anybody else. While you can take someone that might be maybe has a bigger upside that we're not looking forward to paying or dealing with a, a, a divorce that's ugly. So we'll do this now. Yeah. And it's, you know, like, and, and Willie's here, you know, trying to say I'm blind because 
the Astros have lots of decent tradable players. They're but they're not but they're not great players. Like you're not you're not moving Brandon Belak and some of these guys for like something that makes you a World Series contender. Like you're you're just not. Like they're bullpen like they're all bullpen arm equivalents. Like that Belak's another guy where it's just like he you trade him, you upgrade your bullpen. Like that's your lefty in the bullpen. If you have to move him. I just don't I just don't buy the idea that like a organization is gonna be calling the Astros and be wanting a 27, like BMAX, a 28-year-old yeah. starter, that's a rookie that for... The only reason why he's even an Astro is because of injuries. Like, most of these guys are completely irrelevant to this franchise. If Lance McCullers is healthy, if Luis Garcia is healthy... That's the big one. Who even cares? See, this like, is why you can Brandon afford like to he's trade a minor leaguer? When you don't have necessarily the, the top, top prospects or top-end prospects that some teams are, and a lot of teams are looking for, you've got guys that are at least... Major League seasoned. They've had experience on the Major League level. They've had some success. So a Belak and a Blanco, and they're expendable because next year you assume Garcia is going to be back. You know that Urquidy's going to be back, uh, whether he has any kind of procedures or he's just himself again. Sure. But he's going to be back. McCullers is going to be back at some point. Hopefully. So, you hope. I'll believe that. And how long, he, how long he stays is again up. In, but you're going to have three starters coming back, which means those two guys have no spot even if you go to a 10-man rotation is when you, they might have... They're going to be in Sugarland. So if, instead of being in Sugarland, if you know that you can trade at least one of those guys, and even if it is just for this year with Brad Hand, and Brad Hand's contract for next year, I think it's it's a team option or at seven. Even at seven, that's a little high, but you could opt out and re-sign him at five. And being a left-handed relief pitcher on this team with the rest of the bullpen being so good, he's probably more valuable to you next year than Belak, but this year it's it's worth the discussion because he's been good and your rotation has been depleted. Tell you what, if I'm a relief pitcher, the Houston Astros are the organization that I want to play for because if you're good, they'll, look pay, at that. they'll pay you way they'll, too they'll much money. They'll pay you way too much money. Look what they, they gave Montero. Yeah, but, okay, but then on the flip <laughs> side, they're also going to try and get it, squeeze the blood out of the turnip by making you make 96 appearances. Yeah, well, they also have a real farm. They also have a real general manager now that would never pay Montero what he actually got. Uh, he is Joel Blank. You can find him on Twitter at Pacman Joel. We got BMAC behind the glass on Twitter at Sacked by BMAC. I am Joe George filling in for Jeremy Branham on Twitter at Joe George Radio. 713 780 3776 is the phone number, and what we're going to get into next is this. Who do you believe in more? We're going to go one by one. Rockets versus the Texans. GM, owner, coach, the whole team, the players. That's next here on the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Don't go for landing. Retro. Go. Right up. Go. Guys, go. Capcom, we're go for landing. 40 feet down, two and a half. Picking up some dust. Four forward, drift into the right a little. 30 seconds. Contact light. Okay, engine stop. We copy you down, Eagle. Houston, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Welcome back, Houston. It's the Killer Bees, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios. Joe George and Joel Blank here on the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. You can find us on Twitter at Joe George Radio at Pac-Man. Joel, so Joel, I know you wanted to get into this. And I like this question. It, yeah. Because we've obviously, like, I think it really is. It's so interesting how the Rockets and the, and the Texans have, like, gone from completely irrelevant franchises in their sport to now both have way better head coaches. They have young stars that the fans 
the team, the organization can just believe in. They like, kind of weeded out a lot of the a lot of the bad, the bad apples and negativity. Yep. Like overall, like the image of the of the Texans and Rockets is just collectively better. But just side by side and going through these, let's start with start with ownership. This is an interesting. It is one. very interesting because Tillman's one still to, pretty new, and one tries to make you believe that he's really hands on, and then he disappears for a while. Mm-hmm. The other one disappeared from reality for a long period of time, and now is checked back in and is trying real hard, along with his wife, to make you like him. Yeah, I don't think Tillman really cares if you like him or not. But I think that Tillman went from let's strep, step on their throat and kick their asses with the Warriors to pray for Victor at the parade in Galveston while he was completely distancing himself from the team from the second half of the season. Yep. But when you look at it overall, it's what have they done or allowed their franchises to do as well? Because when you look at it from a Tillman perspective, he's got his son that he's supposedly grooming to be the next general manager supposedly. someday. That follows Rafaela Stone around every day. Uh, we and- never even talked about how the fact that when like Thompson and Whitmore got drafted, it wasn't Tillman that got the phone. It was Patrick. Yeah. Like and like, look, it's that's not the end of the world. But like, Cal never did that, right? I've I've never Didn't seen Cal any- try and do it this year. No, but like I'm saying, when Bob was alive. Oh right. Like right, I've never right, seen any right. video no, of like no, 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 JJ no, but- Watt talking to Cal McNair on the phone when he's drafted. Well, when Tillman bought the team. Tad Brown, the CEO at the time, was walking around telling everybody, Patrick, this is my replacement. Because that was the initial plan, was that Patrick was going to take over the business side. But then Patrick was more enamored with basketball, and then he wanted to learn about it. So then Rafael figured, I could get a job out of this if I just befriend Patrick. Sure. So now the two of them, which had never done anything in basketball operations or general managing before, get full and total control of basketball operations thanks to Daddy's little toy, and you're left to kind of deal with the results. Yeah. Some good, some bad, but a lot of question marks. And now Stone's coming up on, I believe, on a contract renewal. And it's interesting if, much like the Lakers post-Dr. Buss's departure by passing away, Jeannie took over the business side. Johnny wanted to be the basketball guy. Johnny was learning under Jerry West, and he was learning under Mitch Kupchak. And then Johnny showed he was never capable of being the guy. Now, I don't know what the Rockets do from here going forward, but it's interesting when you look at this and say, okay, from an ownership perspective, Robert McNair never said Cal's going to be on the football side. And he basically, I don't think, ever planned for Cal to be on the business side, though Cal liked being around football. But then he unfortunately passes away, and it's like now all bets are off. The only one in the family that wants Janice was too old and didn't have, you know, didn't have the, the, the interest to do it. Cal takes over, and then you're like, what is he doing? Yeah, so where would you say right now, ownership between the Rockets, Texans, Tillman versus Cal? I want to believe that Tillman is better than Cal. Okay. Because of his all-around business sense, because whether you shut up and listen or not, he has the money to tell you what to do, and I think that he's run enough businesses where he has a pretty firm grasp. Whereas I think Cal's been fed with a silver spoon his whole life. If you want a guy to go fishing with, play video games with, and go barbecuing with, Cal's your dude. But if you want a guy that's able to weed out a Jack Easterby quickly, weed out a Bill O'Brien quickly, and then get the right football guy and turn over football decisions to a guy that knows what he's doing, Cal's not quite as quick 
on those things. So sure. I I, th- I want to say Tillman's is still about a half step above Cal, in my opinion. BMAC? I, I think the ceiling is obviously higher with Tillman for all the reasons Joel mentioned. I think he's a smarter guy, just, just being a guy, and also in, in business as well. But I think it comes down to engagement because Tillman's got so many more things going on where Cal's basically only Texans. And I think it's a question of how much do you want them engaged. If Tillman's engaged in doing what we want him to do, I think he's a better owner. But in Cal, obviously, we probably want his wife a little more involved than him. Uh, but I think I think the the even though the ceiling's higher for Tillman, I think the floor is also maybe lower with Cal because I don't think Cal would be as prone as Tillman to doing something crazy and making. I, I don't know. Tillman has that kind of that not Jerry Jones in him, but he has that type of mentality at times where you can see him making a wild move, whereas Cal's more uh, less likely to blow the whole thing up. Yeah, I, I think I I can't believe I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna side with Cal McNair, really, because. I know Cal only has the Texans, and Tillman Fertitta will the Rockets will be second fiddle soon. I guarantee you. He's already tried twice. He's already tried. He tried to buy the commies. Like he tried to buy the Washington Commanders. That sale's gonna go through in forty minutes from now. And Tillman Fertitta wanted it to be him. Like he still has bigger aspirations than the Rockets, and he has this other business. And like I think his plan is to own a basketball team and let his son kind of run it, where at least Cal is like the only guy who is like, it's the McNair family, but Cal is still running it, even if it's him and his wife. I just, I'm not sure that like Tillman, well, the Rockets will always be priority one. I just don't, that's why. Like, I just, I don't, I don't know if he will always have the Rockets in his best interest. If he has two teams, well, he said he wants to own them for and keep it in the family for the rest of his life. And then the kid's life. Yeah, but so like, he ain't going anywhere. Yeah, but if he's if he's if he buys an NFL team and and Patrick's handing it off, then you're asking me to pick between Patrick and Cal. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Joel. But you've talked about Tillman seemingly being checked out for the better part of the last couple seasons, right? I mean, it, I mean, it wouldn't be the first time Tillman had checked out on the Rockets. So I could certainly see, if, especially if he gets an NFL team, that he hands it over to the kids and he's barely involved. I, you know what? Here's what I think, guys. I think that when they're winning, he wants to be hyper. Focused on being there, being in the moment. He's a fair weather owner. It, 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 it is, I'm not. I'm not dis- disputing that. That's a, a genuine possibility. Because if you think about it, when they were good, when they were Western Conference Finals, when they were going against the Warriors, courtside every night, interviews after the game, talking to the media, around the players, in the locker room, on the on the charter, going and to the road games. The minute that they started falling off, and then when they started trading off, he decided to, to focus on the other businesses. You're right. He's got. You know, everything in Vegas. He's got everything on the Kima Boardwalk. He's got everything in Galveston. He's got everything with the restaurants. He's got all these different things going on to where it's whatever kind of floats his boat. If the teams are winning, I want to be around that because that's sexy. That's cool. That's what everybody's talking about. If not, I went through the pandemic and and took it in the shorts for a year or two. I got to build everything back up. So I got bigger fish to fry until this team becomes relevant again, whether he buys a football team or not. Uh, GM. This is a hard one. Nick Casario versus, you know, Rafael Stone. The, to is me, it, is it hard? What's different about them? I just don't. What has Rafael Stone accomplished? What has Nick Casario accomplished? Like, yeah, all, I mean, all they've done is got rid of bad players and over and overpriced contracts. Well, not even bad players. They got rid of big players. Yeah. Big players that demanded to be traded. Yeah, I just. I mean, getting guy. free first See, for Deshaun Watson feels bigger I, than anything. Is, I, I completely agree. This is where. And I was having a conversation with a couple of people that I know within the organization with the Rockets and outside of it. 
The one thing that I really would say Stone really first faltered on was the fact he didn't have to trade James where he wanted to go. And he could have gotten a lot of better, bigger packages. There were teams that were smaller teams than even the teams that were mentioned. And everybody does go to the Cleveland side of it where you could have gotten three young guys and three first-round picks. And those three young guys could have been part of your nucleus, starting with Allen at center and Karis LeVert and Spencer Dinwiddie. But whether you did that or not, you ended up with Kelly Olynyk as the centerpiece of getting rid of your franchise player. Nick Casario, on the other hand, took an almost no-win situation with a no-trade clause with a quarterback that was not playing for you anymore and found a way to at least massage, if not manipulate, the system enough to work out deals with every team that Deshaun might choose that he wanted to play for until he got... And then when Deshaun picked the team, he got enough for him. But what's the difference? James Harden was traded to the only team he wanted to go to for three first-round picks and washed-up players, and Deshaun Watson was traded to the only team he agreed to go to for three first-round picks. But those first-round picks in the NFL are more valuable than they are in the Completely more valuable. The ones you're looking at right now, and everybody I know is crossing their fingers that that the Nets suck and they end up at the back end of the lottery or something where you could make that pick into something. Sure. But at the time the trade was made, it looked like they were going to be in the late 20s. Would you trade for Damian Lillard today if you knew he wasn't coming to training camp and he would never report to this team? I'm not trade. No, well, no just as an example, like if you were any organization besides the Miami Heat, would you trade for Damian Lillard? If you knew his agent was telling the truth that he would not play for your team, would you trade for him? I might because, but because see, like I think most here's teams where wouldn't. I would. Here's where I would. I'm making the initial trade to get Damian Lillard out of Portland. Right now, if I do know and I'm completely convinced he's never going to play for me, I'm already on the phone before I complete that deal. Looking for the three-way or the next opportunity. doesn't even have to be a three-way. Yeah. I'm immediately looking to move him to get better return from somebody else like a Miami that needs him. Maybe my team's closer to doing what I need to do, and I need shooters like Hero and Robinson more so than the Blazers. Maybe it's a team that's saying, you've got some things that I could use, and I could still get back more than I gave up, and yeah, you yeah, can yeah. have Damian but, Lillard. Like, but my point is, is that, and where I'm going with this, is that Damian Lillard, you know if you traded for him today and you're the Boston Celtics, he's going to play for your organization. Who in their right mind was going to trade for James Harden besides the Brooklyn Nets? Well, Daryl would have. And, and Philadelphia. Philly was interested. And, and, and Tillman? Sacramento was interested. And, that's the one where you probably could like, have gotten more, but that's the one where James wouldn't have wanted to play. And that's what's tough, is that, like, I get why. But do you think the, the Rockets were in a tougher situation than the Texans dealing that, coming off of what uh, what was going with Deshaun Watson? I think they're in the same situation. Like, I think they're identical. And the, and the Texans got more. I mean, I think that's the point. I don't think they did. They got they got the same amount of draft picks. They got yeah, better but picks. But the first-round picks in the NFL are yeah, so much more valuable. Yeah, they got better picks and more valuable picks. Unless they're top five. And, but, like, you guys think, like, James Harden was worth what? Karis LeVert? He's the most overrated player in the no, NBA. No, no, no. Jared Allen at center. Come on, man. Like, Jared you're telling Allen, me, you're Jared, telling Allen, me, Jared Allen at center. Joel, you're telling me today that you think the, that Rafael Stone got this trade wrong because the Rockets would be in a better position if I they got they Jared got Allen and Karis they got LeVert? More. You, you took Oladipo and then you dumped out on Oladipo for Kelly Olynyk. I mean, this is, it's like a domino effect of the three moves that ended up with what you ended up at the end, and you ended up with nothing for a guy that was your franchise player. I don't agree. You got, you have Jalen Green, you have Jabari Smith Jr., but, and you have Amen Thompson. But, okay, but they didn't get you, that trade didn't get you yes, those guys. Yes, it did. No, it didn't. Your ability to suck got you those guys. Because you didn't take on those players you're talking about. You're talking about players that if Karis LeVert and Jared Allen, are your are your like your players? You don't have a top time five out, time pick. out, time out. Because again, nothing says that once the deal is done, that your hands are tied and you can't do what you tried to do anyway. You could then there were teams that wanted Karis Levert, there were teams that wanted Jared Allen. 
even if you still wanted to suck and you wanted to completely press the rebuild button, or re- reload button, you could have traded each of those guys individually a second time like you did with Oladipo. For what? More draft picks. Better, maybe younger players but on other teams. you guys just said the Brooklyn picks don't matter. They don't because they're not good. So what is Karis LeVert going to get you? A but first Joe, round pick that doesn't matter. It just does what you exactly what you said. It gets you to suck. But like I'm just like. That's but you have like, more. Op- you know what it gets you? It gets you closer to Oklahoma City because now you've got a multitude of picks. Cool. They have 27 first round picks that they're going to do nothing with. They're way better than you already because they have Shea Gilgis Alexander. That's not why. Yes, they, it they is. have Josh Giddy. They have a lot of young players that can play yeah, multiple the, positions because they had like it's where the lottery fell. Chet's going to look Chet, as much as I didn't think so. Chet looks pretty damn good right now. Yeah, too. but like that's not fair to Rafael Stone. You can't use Chet. No, I'm not saying me. I'm not. I'm not using Chet as a as I'm using it as an example of how OKC sure. just took as many picks as possible. If you hit on a couple, you don't have to hit on all of them. But if you hit on a couple, you still suck for the rest of the year. But you have so many more picks to try and hit one that that works and and turns out so that you can be better in your rebuild. But the, the they all they've done is hit on their top lottery picks, which is like what the Rockets have had. Like the Thunder have not taken Jalen Green's a hit right now. No. Okay. You want to argue with me about Jalen Green now? Like, and like, no, I'm did just they took the wrong guy? Hit on. You're talking about the Rockets hit on all their picks? No, the Thunder. Like, oh, the all Thunder, they, right. But that's that's part of being a general manager, too. But no, but it's, but it's not. Because like then you're trying to act like that Jabari shouldn't have been the third pick or Jalen shouldn't have been the second pick. Those were the right picks. You have to think a step ahead. So not you don't necessarily take on Levert, Dinwiddie, Allen, and the picks that you get and say, we're done. You start thinking about, okay, well, there are four different teams that are interested in Jared Allen. If I can spin Jared Allen instead of Kelly Olynyk, I can spin Jared Allen into another first, maybe a young player, maybe a second. But, well, to be fair, they did trade Karis LeVert. Karis LeVert was a rocket. Right, like, but he was part of the three-way. He never was a, a, a piece you could trade again and get more for you. But, but they got assets from the, from the Cavaliers. But but it wasn't as much as if you traded him individually because he got traded later and think, they got more. If you think Karis LeVert is worth more than what the Rockets got from the Cavs, then like I just think we not, just view him why, very differently. It's not just Karis LeVert, though. It's those three guys as opposed to Kelly Olynyk or Oladipo or the guys that you trade for originally. I, I guess I just totally view this differently. Like I, I don't think Rafael Stone did anything wrong with that trade. Okay. Uh, we'll keep rolling through this. He's Joel Blank. I'm Joe George. It's the Killer Bees here on ESPN 97.5. general managers next. We just did general managers. We did owners. All right, go to break. Broadcasting live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, deep inside the secret bee cave, it's Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham. Joe George and Joel Blank here with you till 3 o'clock. So we're rolling through some Texans versus Rockets. So it looks like the consensus was... Tillman for the you were, Rockets. You were the owner. only Cal. You were the only. Yeah, just because I I think Patrick's time is coming, and I just I have more questions than answers at the moment. Um, we have it seems like a team Nick Casario, um, Kenyon Green for Deshaun Watson's a good trade. Um, I'm sorry. I just, hey, come on now, you can't. Why? You can't. You can't present. That's not, why not? That's, I mean, that's a part of it, but I, I, I just don't like... I, it seems like, like you're unwilling okay, so you to... you can criticize him for who he took with the pick, but he got a good pick out of it. It, like it seems like you're unwilling to admit that... Okay, the, whoa, 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 time out then. Let's start talking about Ty Ty Washington and Garuba and... Because you guys just said first-round picks don't matter. 
No, I didn't say I they don't matter. They I said the one the Texans no one said got were they're more valuable in the NFL. Yeah, but like Ty Ty Washington's not. He's first round pick. But he's Drew not supposed to be a first round pick. But he's not Christopher's first round pick. No, but like he's not supposed to be what Kenyon Green's supposed to be. Like we're at, this is where I agree with you guys. Like, but that, that's the point, though. The picks that you get in the NFL are, are more valuable because they're roughly drafted around the same spot. But those picks in the NFL are way more valuable. Perfect example is yeah. a second round pick in the NFL as a starter for you for expected to be five to seven years. A second round pick in the NBA may make your roster. May make the may, guys. Yeah, may make the G League roster. A top right. ten pick in the NBA will likely not be on your team in three years. It's a possibility. Like no, like if you look at historically since 2016. Most most lottery picks spend less than average on three and a half years on their team. Like that's, that's how that's that, where the whole shift has gone yeah, because due the, to the one and because done. Because the, the lottery, the NBA look, that's where your main argument is not even anti Rafael Stone. It's the fact that players suck coming into the NBA. Well, no, like it, that's, that's where like I Essentially it not that not even that they suck. It used to be that if you did your due diligence scouting players in you the NBA. You could get good players. If you had a top 20 pick, Mm -hmm. you got a player that was going to be on your roster for the next seven years. If you had a top 10 to 15, top 12 pick, like you said, lottery pick, you were probably getting a starter. If you had a top five pick, you were probably getting an all-star that might be a Hall of Famer. Now, you look at it differently because one and done's come in and everything shifts, and now you're drafting on potential. The kids you take could either get you fired or get you an extension based on it flipping a coin and saying he looks really good at 18 if he fills out when he matures if he develops a shot look at Amen Thompson really really good but they're going we're crossing our fingers that he can yeah. shoot the basketball he's got a lot of skill but you're rolling the dice yeah i just like my look just to to wrap this part up for my take on why like i don't blame Rafael Stone for the James Harden trade is that like i know Portland's GM Crone is talking a big game right now about Dame but like i just don't believe it Right, like I don't believe that he's not going to just take Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson because that's where Damian Lillard wants to go. Joel, I wish I could tell you that like what Rafael Stone did was the worst thing on the planet, and that you're so right. But the problem is, is that the NBA has been ruined, and James Harden would have got his way just like he did. Well, leaving Brooklyn, just like he's going to do, leaving Philadelphia, he is going to demand what team he goes to, and he is going to get his way. And it is not. This is where, like, I just view it differently. Like, it's not that I have a problem with R- what Rafael Stone did because that's what the NBA is. I have a problem with the NBA. And that's where, and like— That's fair. Look, this is a good discussion to have. I don't hate you today because we're doing the show and having a good discussion. And it's today. Worth, it's worth, that's, it's worth Tomorrow having. Tomorrow might be different. But Houston's going to be the birthplace of the superstar trade that they get what they want. Because in years past, and you can say, well, when Chris Webber or other some other big names wanted to go— Guess what? You were either going to go to like Washington or Sacramento or things like that. GMs were going to, if you, all they had to do was say, okay, we heard from you. You want to go somewhere. You want to get out. You want it to be traded. But you couldn't call your shot. Well, Deshaun called his shot. James Harden called his shot. Now Damon Lillard takes a page out of his book and says, I can call my shot. Sports changed as a landscape from a player control perspective. When some of these guys started demanding trades and not only got their wish, but got to go where they wanted to go, because now more teams are appeasing them. But yeah, you can't put that on James Harden or Rafael Stone. I think it started, that goes back further. I'm not putting to, it on Rafael Stone. I'm saying that. But that's not, it didn't start here. I mean, to be fair, Anthony Davis did it like two years before that, and Paul George did it. And that really kind of started but they, with. But, but we had, a, the we had two in one contracts. year happen in this city to where you were like, it's 100%. one thing to demand a trade, it's another thing to demand where you go and then have the team go, we're going to do that. If I'm the team. I'm already betrayed by the fact that you don't want to play for me anymore. 
I don't care where you want to go. Yeah, but just sadly, like that's not how the NBA works anymore. And that's where, like, I think Rafael Stone got as much as he could for James Harden when, yeah, I mean, I guess Rudy Gobert got for more, but, like, just that was the dumbest trade on the planet. But, like, in that situation, like, I think Rafael Stone did as much as he possibly could. And, look, and I think I think Casario did too, and I guess we never even got this, but the reason why I really pick Rafael Stone is I think his players are going to be better than Nick Casario's. I think Jabari and Jalen Green are going to be better. Maybe not CJ Stroud and Will Anderson, but Nick Casario's done nothing in two years. Like he's a con- like I think Kenyon Green's a bust. Derek Stingley Jr. Like the- and Rafael Stone has not chosen. He did not choose Jalen Green over Chet Holmgren, in which Chet Holmgren's an All Pro NBA. That, but, isn't like, that a strike against against Rafael Stone though? Because he basically just took whoever fell to him. He hasn't picked anybody. He's got he really what's left. Exactly right. Bmax was but he say. has, I've, and I've said this previously. No, he hasn't. In the okay. top in the top of the draft. He has taken what's left over. He was going to have to take Chet if Jabari went to OKC. But Chet went. Everybody thought Paolo Bancaro was the guy up until draft day, as you and I have talked about. Well, the last guy standing of the top three in Tier 1 was Jabari, so he took him. Yep. They, tried to trade the up for, they tried to trade up for Cade Cunningham. They tried to make a deal on draft day to get to number 1. They couldn't get him. Cunningham went 1. They didn't want a big in Mobley, so they took what was left over, and they took Green. You really like revisionist history, then? You think they should have taken Josh Giddey too? At two? Yeah. He because... wasn't in the same tier. So, but then, like, what does it matter if he's just taking the players that are left? You can't give him a big, hearty pat on the back, job well done. You're just taking in that top tier, which has been pretty clearly cut. You don't think that Derek Stingley Jr. was the right... Like, Derek Stingley Jr. was the wrong pick, right? We all know. Oh, it should have been Sauce Gardner, 100%. We all know it was the wrong pick. Rafael Stone doesn't have the wrong pick. Like Rafael Stone took Jabari Jalen hasn't Green. accomplished any more there than Derek Stingley to me. Joe, no, but like who was who was after Jabari? Joe, there wasn't two guys. That's what I'm saying. There wasn't a Sauce Gardner sitting there next to Jalen Green or a Sauce but Gardner sitting next point. to Jabari. So he took what was left. He took the only guy left in tier in that tier. But he took the right guy. Nick Casario. There is no take- other guy. You had no choice. Nick- Nick Casario had a choice and he took the wrong guy. I'm not doubting you. Nick, no, I, know, I agree like, that you, Nick You can't Nick have it both up. ways. Like, you can't have it to where, like, Nick Casario took the wrong guy, could have had Sauce Gardner, and then discredit Rafael Stone for taking the right guy at two. First of all, I'm, not dis- I'm saying it wasn't a discredit. It wasn't a compliment. You took what was left. In Nick Casario's, you can criticize him more because you had two guys you could choose from. And you chose the wrong guy. Yeah, that but I he totally took the agree right with. But that's where, like, I have Rafael Stone ahead of Casario because he doesn't make those and mistakes. I that's your opinion. I that's fine. But I'm just saying to you, if there was a guy like Sauce Gardner or the equivalent of Jabari or the equivalent of Jalen Green still sitting there, it might be a different conversation because now we could say instead of taking the guy you took, you might have had a guy that's already made an all rookie right, team. We're, just, we're, going, we're done with this. We're moving on. It's the Killer Bees. We're going nowhere. People don't like this. It's very obvious. We're going to get into some Astro stuff here. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5.